Let me invite you to open your Bibles to uh, John chapter 12. Seth just read. And kiddos, you're in with us today. So glad you're here with us. You probably got a little packet when you came in, um, which is really cool. Kids, are y'all ready to start school back? <laughs> you are ready. So I've kind of got a mixed bag here. Um, I was reading, uh, Haley, I was reading your, uh, your Facebook this morning about Lincoln. Lincoln's back there. <laughs> I screenshot. Lincoln says to Haley, this is on her uh, social media page, Mommy, I don't ever want to go to that school and do hard work ever again. If there's ever a tweet, right? <laughs> she responds, Lincoln, I know it's hard, but you're so smart. He said, nope, I'm sick of it. I'm retired. <laughs> yes. How many teachers are saying that right now? You know, can we retire year three? I think we can do it. Um, kiddos, I'm glad you're here with us today. Uh, in your little packet, you can draw or take notes. I'd love to see whatever your artwork you create. As you listen, I believe... Um, God can speak to you. So as you listen um, for God to speak, listen to what he says. We're going to be going through God's word today, and I pray that he would speak to you. Let me pray for us as we get started. Father, thank you for today. I pray the truth of your word would find fertile ground in our hearts and our minds. It would inspire us and comfort us and convict us so that we would follow after you and look more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. By way of reminder, we're in John's gospel. We've been walking through it for um, several months now. We've got several months still ahead of us. And this is, the, in John 12, this is kind of the last discourse that Jesus is going to have um, with the public. Um, other than when he is uh, in front of uh, being interrogated on trial, this is the last time that he's like teaching um, everyone else. Following this, he'll start the upper room discourse. Well, he'll be in the upper room and then following those last uh, uh, day and a half of his uh, life until he is crucified. So um, we're walking also, the context is through the book of John. Now, John um, was one of Jesus's best friends. And so it says uh, his name, they called him John the Beloved. I'm not sure if John gave himself that name or if everyone else just saw Jesus' favor and connection with John and uh, the rest of the disciples called him uh, John the Beloved. But he is, he's firsthand eyewitness accounts of all these things. And remember in chapter 20, he tells us that he wrote this so that you would believe in Jesus. He's very um, outright and uh, forthcoming about why he wrote this so that we would believe in Jesus. He's got this insider look at the life of Jesus. And last week we talked about the triumphal entry um, and Mary anointing him at Bethany. But between verses 19 and 20 of our text, a day or two had elapsed. Jesus is no longer on the road to Jerusalem with the palm branches, if you remember that. But now he's teaching in the temple uh, precinct. And in the meantime, according to Mark, between this, John leaves this out. He had expelled the traitors and the money changers uh, from the temple uh, more precisely from the outer courts, the, the court of the Gentiles, in order that this place might fulfill its ordained purpose, you remember, of being a house of prayer for the nations. 
And this is contextually important because in verse 20, the Greeks show up. It says in verse 20, now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. And they came to Philip, who was the only one of the disciples that had a Greek name, so they were kind of familiar with that. And they asked him, verse 21, sir, we wish to see Jesus. And so I'm not sure why Philip went and got the other crew, uh, Andrew. I'm not sure why he didn't just go get to Jesus himself. But it says in verse 22, Philip went and told Andrew and Andrew Philip. And Philip went and told Jesus, like, should we bother Jesus with, can the Gentiles even be believers? Remember up to this point, the gospel had mostly spread just through the, the, uh, the people of Israel or the Jews. The gospel was not for the Gentiles. Remember the Gentiles, other than just a few select people who the Old Testament referred to as God-fearers, they were on the outside. Even the court of the Gentiles that Jesus flipped the tables over, there was this like sign on the wall that's like intimidated is, 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 is the safe word. Any Gentiles that come past this point will be put to death. So there is this, so there's, you know, you're not gonna, you're not gonna get into, so they were kept away from the presence of God. Jesus goes over, flips those tables, and I, I'm assuming the word got out, so these Greeks come to find Jesus. And I, I love too how, how much like Yoda uh, Jesus is, um, or, or how much like Jesus, Yoda, in, in the way he talks. They, they go to find him and they're like, hey, uh, we want to see Jesus. So they went and told Jesus, hey, Jesus, hey, there's some Greeks want to see you. And Jesus like mentions nothing of it. He just goes straight in in verse 23 and Jesus answered, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. Can you imagine how confused the disciples were all the time? Like, what is he talking about? We just, we just said there's some people at the door that want to see you, Jesus. And you, you bust into this like pithy saying about Verse 24, truly, truly, I say to you, a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. Now we've got a biology lesson, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. And I'm not sure if the disciples were putting on one of those, you know how when you shake your head in affirmation, you have no idea what your wife's talking about? Right, yes. Wait, what? What are we even, I'm not sure if they were doing that or if they had the puzzled eyes on their face. He goes on to say, whoever loves his life loses it and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. In verse 26, if anyone serves me, he must follow me where I am. There my servant will be also. So a couple of things I wanna unpack here. First, Jesus talks about his hour has come. His hour has come. Now this has come up several times. If you remember way back even in uh, early um, when Jesus turned the water to wine at his first miracle in the wedding and his mom came to him and said, Jesus, we got a problem, we've run out of wine. And Jesus responds, my hour has not yet come. And what he's talking about is his, the hour is his hour to be glorified through his death, burial and resurrection. That's the hour that he's talking about. And here he says, my hour has come. And indeed so, we were just days away from the betrayal, the flogging, the crucifixion. My hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. 
And then this next thing that certainly, of course, might even puzzle us as we read it, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. And we understand that. We've all planted a seed and covered it up, buried it, and then watched it and waited for the sprout to come up, right, above the soil. We understand that. Jesus is saying that the seed planted in the ground, though looked like it had died, would be exponentially multiplied. And he's talking about his own life, that he's going to be the one that is going to die. And that seed of the gospel that would be planted in the ground or in a tomb that would be raised, this truth would be exponentially multiplied in the life of his followers. Jesus is saying, I'm going to die. But there's going to be amazing fruit that comes from the resurrection. One of Paul's letters, I think it's in Corinthians, it says that Jesus is the first fruit of the resurrection. This whole picture of the seed dying in order to bear much fruit is a picture, as he would go on to say, of losing your life in order to find it. And it just doesn't define the church in its current state, certainly in the West, and especially in this church growth movement. We, we tend to stay away from difficult passages like this. Because Jesus is not only going to say, hey, I'm going to die and I'm going to be persecuted, but anyone that follows after me will face similar persecution. The church growth movement of the 70s and 80s has led many churches to reducing the power of the gospel to this mere moral adaptation, not preaching a dying to self. We've reduced disciple making to something that only professionals do and we've made it completely acceptable for so-called believers to never grow, never serve, never give, never sacrifice. We've Americanized Christianity and diminished its power and really confused people. And we look back at the word of God and we ask the question, what does it mean to really follow after Jesus? A lot of people really confused. The essence of Christianity is death to self so that Christ may live in us and through us. It's not promotion of self. He who loves his life in this world will lose it, he says, here and for eternity. It's only through the death of your agenda that you find life that is truly life. Discipleship to Jesus looks less like a trip to Disney World and more like preparations for the Olympics. Maybe you've been watching the Olympics and it goes into these backstories, especially through even the COVID year of just the discipline of just the swimming or the running or the, the counting the calories and the macro, all the things that go into this is this preparation ultimately to achieve this dream. The apostle Paul would say later, it's of some worth to exercise, to train in that way, but it's of far greater worth 
to train your mind and your heart and your body to follow and be conformed to the image of Jesus. That's discipleship. This is this picture we see even in baptism of the seed dying, buried in the likeness of his death and raised to walk in newness of life. It's just drama played out in front of everyone. And we have a baptism Sunday coming up in a couple of weeks. Maybe some of you, that's a step of faith you need to take. You're following after Jesus. It's time even to be um, baptized. Paul explains this well in Galatians 2.20. He says, I've been crucified with Christ and it's, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And if we're honest, sometimes American Christianity seems to be the opposite of that. American Christianity, if we're not careful, can be ego-driven, self-centered, all about me, becomes about what we can get, about profit and loss. So I lose my Sunday mornings, but I gain heaven. Is that, is that the trade we're making? Let's do that. What a jacked up system that is. That's not the gospel. The very essence and DNA of Christianity has been hijacked. And what's left in its place is some kind of moral code that assures no one of heaven or even the way of Jesus. What a stinging word that Jesus uses here. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal. You and I can be our own worst enemies. Pride, selfishness, arrogance. This is what Jesus is saying. He who loves his life he who falls in love with himself. He who falls in love with himself is chasing after the allure of something that's not real. It's not eternal, it's not gonna last. To fall in love with yourself, this attitude that my will and my opinion is the best and the greatest ever. Everyone should just think and act like me. I heard John Acuff say a couple weeks ago on a podcast, maturity in marriage is just listening to my wife tell me something, is shortening the distance between when my wife says something and I actually believe her. Early in marriage, she would say something he says and I wouldn't believe her until I was proven wrong. But now I just learned to trust her. This thing in us that we fall in love with ourselves of my will and my opinion If you and I could write the narrative of our own life, it would be themes of what? Comfort and safety and pleasure, very little risk-taking. We would live in this perpetual state of self-preservation. We would love our lives and we would miss out on real joy. We are called to hate our life, not in the sense that we disregard it, but in the sense that we freely give it up to be useful for God's purposes. Our life is precious to us, especially because it's something that we give back to Jesus. Maybe you prayed that prayer even this morning. God, use me, use my life. Use my resources and my talents and my abilities, not for myself, but for your kingdom. The truth is most of us never really want to do hard things. And because of that, we're never formed into anything worthwhile. It's not that fun's bad. Going to Disney World is not a bad, well, it could be a bad thing. 
It's not necessarily a bad thing, but it doesn't change your life. But the difficult moments that you walk through, although never enjoyable, shape you into a different person. They mold you if you allow them into the image of Jesus. He goes on to say in the passage, verse 26, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. Jesus has always called his people to follow him. It's always been this invitation, this relationship that he's called them into. Not religion, not doing all the things, not saying all the right things, not performing. No, he's called them into a relationship with himself. It was never believe this or that and everything's going to be right. No, he called them into a relationship. He said, come and follow me. Come and walk with me. We need to be talking to God constantly and continually. We've got to be with Jesus. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And I've reminded us of this before. Spiritual growth is a choice. We follow Jesus by knowing him in the word and communicating with him based on how we know him through the word. To grow spiritually, we have to have these spiritual disciplines in our lives. Friends, if you don't feel close to God, it's not because God has run away. It's because you aren't pursuing him. Continually submitting to him and saying yes to him. It takes action to grow. This isn't passive. It's amazing to me how ambitious we can be about all the things in life and yet ignore the greatest thing in life to pursue the likeness of Jesus. We can be so passionate and ambitious about everything else, the keto diet or CrossFit or Camp Gladiator or Couch to 5K, so, <clears throat> so ambitious about your careers or your college education. Just think about all that goes into planning these things. And we're so ambitious. Yet when it comes to actually being formed into the image of Christ, we're like, well, you know, I had made a plan to grow in the likeness of Jesus and then Apple TV released another season of Ted Lasso. And you know, I just, ugh. you know, I, I'd really planned to be conformed to the image of Jesus and I was gonna do it. But there's so many great shows on Netflix. There's so many other things that we give our life to and I'm not saying that those things are bad, but they're certainly not primary. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, Jesus says, and where I am, there my servant will be also. I read this book uh, a decade ago, and it was written even more decades before that, and I forgot the author's name, or I would tell you, but in it, he, he's a Christian sociologist, and what he does is take and uh, give different steps on the spiritual journey. Do you have that? I have it kind of like a, a ladder on the on the image back here if it came through, the spiritual journey. And the spiritual journey starts with this, really the step before this and the resisting, but for our text today, we're gonna look, started the second step, which is this questioning and seeking stage. This is this real like spiritual angst, trying to figure out the meaning of life, pushing back against nearly everything, people that are really wrestling with their faith. And there's some of you in this room, and I'm glad you're here. 
this is a necessary stage to try to figure out because you know you you had the faith of your parents and some of that was passed down and some of it wasn't but in this stage you're really kind of wrestling to make it your own is this really true did I believe this just because they told me or because it's really true this is this questioning and seeking stage really wrestling with their faith, asking all the questions. And friends, let me tell you, there's got to be room in our faith family for people who are wrestling. That's okay. I invited a friend to come uh, a while back and she said, could I come? I don't, I don't believe all the things. I was like, you don't have to believe all the things to show up with us. Sometimes the greatest introduction to the gospel is seeing the gospel at work in people's lives who really follow after Jesus. And that means that we, there, there's room for you. If you're wrestling and doubting and pushing back and trying to discover, deconstructing even, there's certainly room here. So after this, this is where we see the Greeks in this passage in verse 20. It says uh, some Greeks who were seeking Jesus. And then there's the responding stage. They actually take a step of faith, step across the line of faith. And they can spiritually see for the first time ever. Have you ever seen some of those videos online where people can hear for the first time ever because of a device implanted? Or I was watching one the other day where a, a little kid could see for the first time ever because of some medical device that they had come up with. It's incredible. And it's just like this awestruck I didn't know this whole thing was even, even existed. I didn't know this was out there. This is this responding stage. And so people are just, they're, they're spiritual toddlers, moves into the next, this adjusting stage, having to relearn everything that they had learned. But now with the Holy Spirit, I was talking to um, a guy in our church who recently came to faith and he said, you know what, I've gone back and restarted the, the gospel of John that y'all started several months before I actually became a believer. And it's amazing. It's like you're listening to music but no sounds coming through. It just is like, oh, okay, what, what even is that? Or listening to music underwater, you're just hearing like, but then the light comes on, you respond, you begin to adjust. The Holy Spirit fills you, the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ living inside of you. That's a new thing. No longer being able to enjoy the sin that you used to enjoy. The Holy Spirit not going to let you get away. He's going to bring conviction. Not because he's like the, the mean coach upstairs, but because he loves you. And he designed this thing to work in accordance to, the, to his design. And he said, no, 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 that's not good for you. Let me show you a better way. This is the adjusting stage. They're spiritual toddlers. They crave spiritual milk. That's what toddlers crave. That's what we crave when we're going through growth spurts. We crave milk. We got a couple little babies in here and when they're hungry and they want milk, you're going to feed them or everyone else is going to be miserable. And it's okay, faith family, that, that's, 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 that's needed and it's purposeful. We have spiritual toddlers in here and they're just learning how things go and we've got to have room for them here, for them to come in and learn. That's, that's one of the reasons I love the 930 equipping hour because we're able to build and stack building blocks on top of building blocks to kind of fill out the foundation of their theology that they would understand. 
That's the adjusting stage. And then the adolescent stage. This is that like, in your physical body, it's that like young junior high stage where your voice is cracking and you out, your bodies outgrow your muscles capability a little bit. You know that stage, just look back in your yearbook and you'll be like, oh, that's the stage. I remember that. That wasn't that fun. Again, we've got to have a place here for people to be in this stage of their spiritual journey. You know, when I was an adolescent, when I was a senior in high school, I, I thought I knew everything. My dad couldn't give me any advice. My mom couldn't give me any advice. I knew everything until I found out I really knew nothing. That's this adolescent stage. You, you, you know this in the church when people are spiritual adolescents because they think they know everything. They want to debate you on everything. Let's debate Calvinism or Arminianism. Let's debate, let's debate tongues or no tongue. Let, let's debate all the things. And they are so sure they're right. This is adolescent stage. But the problem is, is when we don't move past the adolescent stage to the next stage of the, oh, this life is really not about me. It's about serving and investing in others. This is what Hebrews 5 says. The author of Hebrews says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk and not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is still a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have the powers of discernment trained by constant, look at this, constant practice to distinguish good and evil. There's this actual practice thing that you do with your mind and your heart and your hands that you do in community with other people where you're practicing there's the fork in the road and one of them is the way of God and one of them is the way of the world. There's constant practice that you're discerning which road you take because it's not always so clear. And this is what the author is saying here. You should actually be mature that way, but you're not. You can't even handle the deeper things of God because you've never grown up. Billy Graham used to say that he believed that 80% of the professing church in America was really lost. They were just playing religious games. And that could be a real number. But there's also a large portion of people in the church who are still spiritual toddlers or spiritual fifth graders. And they've, they've been a believer for a very long time. They just have never learned to grow. My little man Hudson's in here and he's going into the third grade. And there's some, there's some third grade things that he does that I really enjoy as a dad. We have this ongoing joke about Uranus and we just laugh, it is just the best, right? But I don't have that joke with Dave Deloach. Me and Dave aren't joking about that. Right? Because we've moved past this like young adolescent stage. It's still funny though. It is so funny. Isn't that still funny? <laughs> it is so funny. I have an amen right here. Here's the point. 
We make space at our faith family for people in this adolescent stage. But we don't want to extend your adolescence. You don't want to be the 35-year-old that's still living in your mom's basement playing Call of Duty all day. No, adolescents might do that. But you got to grow up. And people that grow up learn that life's not about them. And I got to pay the bills. And I got to serve other people. And I got to go to work. And I got to handle conflict. And I can't just excusing things away. And I can't just blame other people. That's what it means to mature. Is you come to the place where it's not all about you anymore. And that's what the next step is in the serving. To start to get a taste of what Jesus talked about. Losing your life in order to find it. Isn't this a beautiful picture of just parenting? How you give up all the... My family's going to go to the, the beach again this week. And Asha and I reminisce about the time when we used to go with no kids. And we just did whatever we wanted to. And we didn't have to carry wagons and tents. And we just carried like a bag. One thing. And it was so enjoyable. And now I'm like, uh, you know, the work mule. I get up early. I got to get all this stuff down there and set up this whole spread. There's this uniqueness in growing, when, I mean, in parenting, when you lose your life in order to invest your life, to pour your life into your kids. And they wake you up at 3 a.m. And you're angry for a second. And then you're like, but they're so cute. And I love them so much. This is the serving. Now, the disciples aren't here yet. They're going to go in chapter 13 that Jason's going to preach on next week into the upper room. And they didn't even want to serve Jesus, their leader. Much less serve each other, much less serve their enemies. So these disciples are like, they're far off. They, they, they do not get it. They're not, they're not there yet. Jesus is going to try to show them through servant leadership what it really looks like. And then the next stage is reproducing. And I wish we had more time for all these. I'm sure we'll come back to these. Reproducing our spiritual maturity is based on and measured by our conformity to the image of Jesus. Remember the seed analogy. This stage is represented by you pouring yourself into other people, not just serving them, but just pouring your life into them, reproducing what you've learned, Christ in you being formed in them, this reproducing stage. And then finally, the maximizing stage. Maximizing, where you live for the glory of God. You know you're in the maximizing stage when people know their why and their what. They know why God has placed them here and they know what God has called them to do. The why and the what. Where you live for the glory of God. Psalms 115 says, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Not to us, Lord, but to you be all the glory. Not that we would take the spotlight, not that we would get the credit, but to you, to you, to you. We're going to see further on in this text how this idea of glory is contrasted between the posture of Jesus in this moment and the posture of these early believers. Verse 42, skip down to verse 42. 
Nevertheless, it says Jesus had done many miracles and signs. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in Jesus. But for fear of the Pharisees, they didn't confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. Verse 43, here's the stinging phrase. This is Jesus. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Man, that last line wrecks me. Loving the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Now contrast that posture of like, I believe in Jesus, but I don't want to tell anybody because I'm going to get just, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to lose some, I'm going to lose something. Contrast that with the, uh, the heart of Jesus in verse 27. Now my soul is troubled, Jesus says. He's about to go to his death. John doesn't record Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane like the other gospel writers do. So this is likely a paraphrase of what's happening there. Jesus praying, now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, but for this purpose, I have come to this very hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven and says, I have glorified it and I'll glorify it again. This is this maximizing stage in your own faith journey where it's not about you anymore. It's about the glory of God. You know what, what defined Jesus in his most trying hour was the glory of God. I love too that this is the third time the scripture records God the Father speaking from heaven over his son. It's cool when God the Father is your, is your hype man here and Jesus is praying but for this purpose, I've come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice from heaven responded. Isn't that, it is just so cool. This word glory is the Hebrew word kavod. It's the Greek word doxa. It's where, it means weightiness or worthness or something that's unusually spectacular. This is the kind of thing you brag about. You know, you catch a three pound fish you know, that's cool. That's a good day. That's going to, we're going to eat that. You catch a seven pound fish, you're going to shell out $500, put that thing on a plaque and hang it in your living room or in your garage if your wife won't let you hang in the living room. Somewhere that you can look back and be like, look at what I did. Look at what I caught. Right? That's, it's something you want to brag about. You want to put on a resume to hang on your wall or write in your Insta bio. It's it's something you're proud of that tells us who you are. Look what I've done. Look what I've accomplished. That's, that's glory. That's, that's the weightiness. That's the weightiness of your life. Look, look, look at this. And those things aren't necessarily bad until they become the defining thing. And this is what Jesus is saying. The very son of God who was there when all of everything was created. He's saying, he's coming to the cross and the difficulty that he's looking at of the cross. This way he says, my soul is troubled. What shall I say? Should I ask God to save me from this hour? No, this is the very reason that I'm here. Father, glorify your name. And I want the posture of my heart to be the same. But if I can be honest, a lot of times it's not. When you get the bad call from the doctor or the bad report, you're facing something difficult. 
Do you take that moment to say, Father, glorify your name? Or do you take that moment to say, God, why me? How could you do this to me? That's the difference. Can I ask you, friend, what defines your life? Is it what other people think about you? They would not confess him because of the fear of man, for they love the glory that came from God more than the glory that came from man, it says. Is it what other people think? Is it even what you think about you? Some of you have got these broken soundtracks in your own mind that you can't listen to the truth of God because the enemy has planted these things and you've had a difficult life and some tragic things have happened and that's the only thing you hear is the accusatory voice of the enemy over and over. Is it what they think about you, what you think about you, or is it what God says about you, what God declares about you, that he created you? Then finally, the celebrating stage This is where you get more joy from seeing others succeed than you do from your own success. This is the Apostle Paul at the end of his life when he's telling young Timothy that I've been poured out like a drink offering and I am celebrating all that God has done. Look at that last little phrase there. If anyone serves me, If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am there, my servant will be also. That almost seems redundant, but it's so necessary that we would follow him and then where he is, meaning that what he cares about, we care about. We've talked about this before, that redemptive edge, that Jesus came not for those who are well, but for those who don't have life all figured out and who've messed up the last, the lost, the least, the confused, the overlooked, the discouraged, the depressed. This is who Jesus came for. He says, and where I am, there my servant will be also. You want to know what it's supposed to look like, a life of discipleship? Is you look more like Jesus. You have more of the heart of Jesus. If anyone serves me, he says, the Father will honor him. And this is how the Father honors you. He gives you worth. He bestows upon you the identity of royalty, a son or daughter of the king, and not just any king, the king of kings. And he places a seal on your finger, gives you the Holy Spirit to live within you, a seat at the table, lavishly blesses you, blessing upon blessing and grace upon grace, working through you to extend the very purposes of God around the worlds. Verse 36, it says that we actually become sons of light. While you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become sons of light. And Jesus wraps up his ministry to the world. His public ministry is wrapped up with this statement. His last teaching before he's to head to the upper room The rest of his commentary will be for the disciples alone. The last invitation that John records Jesus giving is here in verse 46. Jesus says, I have come into the world as a light 
so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. For I, he says, if anyone hears my words and doesn't keep them, I do not judge him. For I didn't come to judge the world, but to save the world. What an incredible invitation of Jesus inviting us as we've seen the light to walk in the light. As we've heard his word to obey his word. As we've come to see our own sin that we would walk to him, run to him for salvation from that very sin. Can you put the stages back up there, Terrence? I wanna close just by giving you some time. We're gonna do communion here in a minute. But maybe you would find yourself on this ladder in your spiritual journey. And maybe some of you, you're in this, these, these first couple steps and you're just trying to figure this thing out and you're kicking the tire and you're deconstructing and you're wrestling with, is this true? Is this not true? And you know, what about, the, what about all the, the bad things that I've heard? And what, you know, you're just wrestling with this, this, this spiritual angst. And my encouragement to you as you hear the Holy Spirit in, in your own heart and head today is that you would, you would take a step of faith and, and you would move from this questioning, seeking to this step of response that you would say, okay, Jesus, I don't have all the questions answered yet, but, but, but I believe that you're the son of God, that you died for my own sin, that you would, you would take a step of faith and respond. And maybe some of you are still in this like spiritual toddler, spiritual adolescent stage. And that's okay if you're a new believer, but it's not okay if you've been walking with God for a couple of years or even, you know, it's time to grow. It's time to make life not about you anymore. Maybe that's the step that you would take. You would just tell that. You would just, God, I, I feel like I'm just kind of stuck here and I'm not growing. Would you help me take a step of faith? Maybe you're further up along. Maybe you're the serving or reproducing or maximizing, wherever it is. I'm gonna pray for us. And if you would just pray right there where you're at, would you just ask the Holy Spirit that he would speak truth to your heart and mind today and that you would take a step of faith. Lord Jesus, as we think about the ultimate sacrifice. Unless the seed be buried, it can never reproduce anything. And some of us have gone through a pretty difficult season of, of, of real, real trial and difficulty. We feel like we're stuck here. But Lord, what if all that's happened to us in the past 18 months wasn't about trying to kill us? It was about planting us so that the fruit of our life would outlive us, would change generations. That we'll have great, great, great grandkids one day, if Lord, you tarry your return, who will talk about the legacy that was started and maybe even with us. 
Father, I pray if there's people in this room who've never taken a step of faith to trust you, to make this decision to be part of your family, I pray that they would do it today. Holy Spirit, would you, would you keep speaking to them and others who've just Like Lincoln said about school, I don't want to do that hard stuff anymore. I retire. I think some of us have been burned by the church before. And Lord, not by you, by the people in the church who refuse to grow. Spiritual toddlers masquerading around as 40 or 50 year olds. Or maybe we'd bring that hurt and pain to you. You would heal it. Maybe we've got a forgiveness issue. We don't want to forgive. Someone hurt us and we don't want to release them from that. And we can't grow until we forgive. Lord, help us to walk in your truth. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. Take as much time praying as you need to, but we're going to open up the communion tables. You don't have to be a member here to participate in communion, but scripture says you have to be part of God's family. And so if you say, hey, that's me, I'm part of God's family, I've trusted Christ as my savior, then certainly you're invited to come. We just have little cups in there. You just take the top off and take the wafer out and then turn it upside down, take the top off and drink. And you do that when you're ready. I'll be in the back if you'd like to pray with someone. I encourage you to spend some time just talking to the Lord right where you're at. Phil's gonna lead us in another song of worship in just a minute. Come when you're ready.